0: Good morning, everybody, Uneducated Economist here. So a lot of people have been asking me about inflation. They've uh, sent me messages, emails, comments. A lot of people are asking me, do I still feel the deflationary narrative, or at least have I started climbing on board with the inflation outcome scenario? And I tell you, actually, you know what? I want to apologize first, just quickly. To everybody who has emailed me or messaged me lately, I have been overwhelmingly busy and I have not had a lot of time to do the communication stuff. So I deeply apologize to anybody who I have missed contact with or just, you know what I'm saying? Like, I've just been a little overwhelmed, but I'm going to get through this stuff and I'll be back on track again. Just give me a little bit of time, guys. Okay? So... Let's talk a little bit about this inflation since I had so many people commenting about it. Now, I tell you, when I was first looking at the Federal Reserve and how they print up money and inject it into the system, I thought for sure there is no other outcome other than inflation. Like there is gonna be price increases no matter what over time. I still believe that. What I did not believe is the inflation outcome that is coming from what's going on right now. And I wasn't really necessarily looking at houses or cars or energy or some of the things that have really gone up in price. I looked at lumber. I looked at that one commodity, just the one. And I said, if lumber was an indicator of what is going to take place throughout the rest of the economy what we are experiencing is not inflation with this lumber prices. I knew it then, I had been saying it the whole time. There was never a doubt in my mind and that what was going on was not a destruction of dollar value that was causing the lumber prices to go up. People argued with me, they, they said it in the, in the comments section that I have no clue of how the Federal Reserve works. I mean, I was reading comments like that. I didn't even choose to respond to them because, like, what's the point of of arguing with that? I have done videos. I've done a 1,000 videos. I'm sure. I mean, close to it. I don't even know how many videos I've done, but it's got to be close to a 1,000 videos. Hundreds and hundreds of them. And I tell you, I go back and I look at some of my videos and I thought, man, I can't believe I was talking about the repo markets long before anybody else was like nobody was talking i said man this is something you got to keep your eye on the federal reserve is going to set up this repo facility make it a permanent structure a permanent tool in their in their program i was talking about that years ago i'll leave a video i'll leave a i'll leave a link to the video on that so when i see lumber and the prices of it i see that there is no inflation taking place in lumber like none Go pull up an inflation calculator. I've asked, okay, so there's two guys that I work with, the owner of the company, and then there's this old man there who I just love talking to this guy. He's the only one who can talk about the Federal Reserve on a level that is like, you know, that I can actually communicate with him on. Most people don't even know what the Federal Reserve is. So, like, trying to communicate with somebody about what the Federal Reserve and their actions and their monetary policy and stuff... Talking to an individual who really understands it, you know, where you can interact with them for these guys to pass, is really valuable to me. Like, you know, you know, it's it's nice to be able to come out here and do a video, but then to actually have a communication with somebody on it. And I asked him. I said, "Man, what were two by four selling for?" He, I mean, he knew. He's been he's been working at. A, he's like, I don't know, in his seventy somewhere. He's been working at a lumberyard since he was a teenager. I asked him, I said, man, back in the 70s, how much were 2 by 4s selling for? And he said, about a dollar. So go and punch it into an inflation calculator. Go and take a look at what a 2 by 4 should be selling for right now. According to the inflation calculator from 1976 to today. And right now, we're selling 2 by 4s down at the lumberyard. For those of you who don't know, I work at a hardware store. Lumber, I do retail sales. I sell lumber for a living. You go down there, and a two by four is three dollars and thirty eight cents. That would make eighty cents. That would have to put two by fours at eighty cents back in nineteen seventy six, which a lot of probably a lot of people were buying for back then. So you can see, like, inflation over the course of forty five years has in lumber has like basically been there. Like, it's like averaged, right? In fact, it's below the inflation. It should be a little bit higher than this. And I expect it will be here before too long. So I'm looking at inflation. People who say, why don't you look at inflation? Why don't you see it like everybody else does? And I'm like, because lumber, I've been doing lumber since I was 16 years old. I'm looking at lumber. I'm not looking at anything else. Like all this other stuff, like there is so many other reasons why things go up and down in prices and supply and demand and offshore freighters that aren't making their, you know, deliveries, all this stuff, you combine all those things. And I'm thinking, okay, well, if all those things have an issue and we just focus in on lumber and what happened with lumber and the price of lumber and the value of lumber compared to the dollar, I see very little inflation taking place. In fact, I see deflation because really two by four should be selling for a little bit more than what they are. Now give it a little bit of time and it probably happens. So, I don't know guys. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to look at when it comes to inflation. Now, I think about how inflation is really defined. It's the expansion of money and credit. Now, quantitative easing, that's inflation. That's the expansion of money and credit. Whether or not that money actually makes it into the system, that's another story. Does it just stay stuck in the banking system? Needs to get loaned into the system. Think about it. It's got to get loaned for mortgages, loaned for cars, loaned for going out spending on credit cards or whatever. I mean, that money has got to get loaned into the system. It doesn't just get handed out willy-nilly. Although it has, through the treasury and the stimulus programs, that was a handing out of willy-nilly money. However, that's debt that's due back. Remember, we talked about beers and saws. All that money went to beers. It's unproductive debt. It doesn't pay back principal and interest. So now we have to work in order to pay back all that stimulus. or you have to tax the hell out of the rich or you know however it works. I don't know how it's going to end up going now. So when I look at inflation, I look about look at the expansion of money and credit, especially when it comes to credit. If we had a lot of more, if we had a lot more homes being sold, right? There, it, it is increasing, but you gotta understand, like right now, there's less mortgages being written than in the past. You gotta think that's less debt being taken out, right? Although the debts are big, like, because these homes are very expensive, the amount of them, same thing with cars, If you don't have as many cars being completed, new cars coming onto the lots and new loans being taken out to buy those cars, then that's less debt being issued. I think about the restaurants. Look at a lot of these um, articles now talking about how the restaurant owners are starting to notice how they are getting less traffic coming into the restaurants. Well, that's the stimulus running out. I I said that was going to happen. I I knew it was. I knew that was going to happen. That if you have a bunch of people with stimulus money, you're going to have an issue where people want to spend that money at a place where nobody's going to be working. Just think about what the outcome of that would be. I mean, give it some time, and you're going to find expensive, understaffed, people spending money that they haven't earned but was given, and eventually the given money will run out. And they'll be left in a situation in which that it's too expensive, understaffed, and nobody's eating there. And that's what's going on. To me, that is less economic output. That's a deflationary scenario. Less cars being sold is a deflationary scenario. Less homes being sold is a deflationary scenario. Though the prices are going up, the activity is not a inflationary one. Not in my opinion. And now... I know a lot of people just focus in on prices, and that's the result of inflation. And I get it. There was a lot that has taken place over the time, but what is going on right now? Think about the Federal Reserve and their tapering. I mean, it's a credible threat right now. That's why you're seeing the bond prices dropping and the yields going up. It's because of this credible threat coming from the Federal Reserve saying that they are going to, you know, stop the purchasing of these mortgage-backed securities and treasuries. And they very well could. And they probably will do a little bit of tapering. In fact, they may even do a lot of tapering. The more they do it, the more credible it becomes. And all they have to do, if it ever gets to the point where the pain is just so much that nobody can take it, is all they have to do is just say they're going to buy more and it'll completely reverse course. Everybody will flood back into the market, and the Federal Reserve may just sit back and not do anything. They may not have to purchase anything at all, just the mere credible threat of them saying that they're gonna go back and reverse the unwinding of the the balance sheet again. See, like right now, they're talking about how they're gonna unwind the balance sheet, right? They're gonna ease back on the tapering, like they're not gonna unwind the balance sheet. That would actually mean like selling off of bonds. What they're going to do is taper, right? So they're purchasing a bunch of bonds, mortgage-backed securities and treasuries. They're going to back off on a lot of that purchasing of it. Well, this is why people are starting to panic. They're like, oh, man, if they're not buying, then maybe we shouldn't be buying either. And this is why you're starting to see the interest rates rise on those treasuries, on the treasury yields. But all the Federal Reserve, like if this starts momentum, starts to pick up and it starts to increase, all the Federal Reserve would have to do is to say... In six months, we're going to start the tapering, you know, we're going to end the tapering program. And we're going to just going to maintain our purchases right here. People would take that as that credible threat and then begin to reverse course on their actions. You know, people ask me all the time, where are prices going to go? I have no idea. I have no idea where prices are going to go. When it comes to homes, it's becoming unachievable. I can only assume that's gonna cause a housing bu- bubble, pop. Like once it becomes unach- unachievable, like this is no longer able to even buy a home, then what's the point of even trying to get a home? And that's where a lot of people are gonna end up going. And that the ambition to, to get into a home won't even be there. And now we've talked about this. We've talked th- about this quite a bit and <sighs> I guess I'll just kind of go on here for a little bit. One of the reasons why I see house prices going up as far as they are or have gone is because of an attempt to control the population. And now we've talked about this and how China is actually trying to control the prices from rising any further, and maybe even go the other way. And we talked about this being a reason or the reason for doing this is to try and increase their population, try and increase the idea of raising families to make homes more achievable. The price of, you know, bringing them down and making them more achievable for families to, to to get started. Now, here in the United States, they're becoming unachievable. It makes me think, is this a reasoning, or the reasoning behind this is to attempt to control the population. Now, if you go and you look at Cantillon's essay on economic theory the one that we have talked about many times there's a chapter in there talking about how the population is controlled by the by the property owners by their um, their likes and their dislikes and it was very interesting read I mean I guess I guess a good example of it was um Cause you got to think this, this essay was written back in like the 1700s, right? This thing is like way old, but they were talking about, and it's all in Europe, but they're talking about this particular region that made this wine, right? And now the property owner who really enjoyed this wine from his property didn't live near his property. He lived in a city that was a long ways away. So he had to transport all this wine to the city in order for him to enjoy the you know the fruits of his of his property there. And now the population back at where the property was were all there to service basically making wine, you know, whether it was, you know, the vineyards, the the wineries, whatever, you know, the places that that make this wine. That was like, you know, the major thing that this, that this property owner liked. But the problem was, is that it was so far away that the transportation cost was more than the product itself to get that product to the city for him and his, you know, people to enjoy. So this property owner ended up investing more money in the transportation or not necessarily money, but more of his property into the transportation of getting this wine to the city. And this is an interesting thing to think about because really when you have like more energy and time and effort put into the transportation of this wine, then you realize that back in the day that meant that there was more land for pastures for horses than land being dedicated for production of food for people. It would naturally cause the population to be less. now had it been another you know thing going on there like if the property was closer to the city and it was really productive for growing vegetables then you would need more people there in order to grow the vegetables to transport them to the to the city and being closer you would be able to transport these vegetables much more efficiently you would need more people for that and so the property owners themselves decide how much population really is needed for the land that there is there. And it would naturally occur by the wants and the desires of those property owners. So it's kind of a sad way to think about it, right? But this is the this is what Cantillon described back in the 1700s. Okay, so let's relate that to today. You have interest rates on homes that are so low that it's caused the prices of homes to be so elevated that they become unachievable. This was, remember, we talked about this one too, that the idea of dropping interest rates the whole time, like the entire time that I have like been growing up, I've heard like lowering interest rates was an attempt to support households and businesses and to make homeownership more achievable, but it's not. What it did is it made it unachievable. I mean, just look at it right now. First time home buyers are priced out. They're gone. Like not priced out, not completely, but a lot of them are just unwilling to even try anymore. It's just like, they look at it and it's just like, man, this is unrealistic. I mean, how am I supposed to sacrifice the rest of my life for a house when it takes my entire payment to get there? It takes an entire paycheck or maybe even entire months worth of paycheck to get there. So it's become like unrealistic to even try and get a house. And if you don't try and get a house, then you're not going to try and have a family. Now, I'm not saying that people don't raise, you know, children in apartments. It happens every day and there's nothing wrong with it. I, you know, there's people grow up just fine, you know, that way. But it's just always been that kind of like American dream idea that when you raise a family, you buy a house, you raise the family there for, you know, 10 to 20, 30 years. And that's like how it's done. That's like. You know, kind of like, you know, when I envision things, that's kind of how it, how it goes down. But it simply is just no longer available to a lot of these people. And I have a feeling that it is strictly because of the interest rates and how low they have become. So, inflation, again, like, that's the main topic that we're talking about. If we see it in cars, if we see it in houses, if we see it in these things that take, like a loan to get then you're going to see prices of them become so high that that we have like the situation that we have now only simply because they can make the debt payment how long can that last now a lot of people said right now like God, I really just kind of jump everywhere, don't I? A lot of people have used this argument with me that right now it is cheaper to buy a home than in any time in history. And I would somewhat agree with that. Like, I think about the time that I had purchased the first home, like I had attempted to buy a home back in 2007. And I remember the payment on it was like, I don't know, $1,200 a month, something like that. And it was like a $168,000 loan. And at the time it was just like, seems so expensive for this dumpy little house but I thought okay no problem you know I work construction I can fix this thing up right and I started to like I put a new roof on it that was as far as I pretty much got but I did put the new roof on there however I think back to that and I thought man $168,000 I wish I had a house payment that was attached to a $168,000 loan even if it was an expensive and even if it was a high interest rate like my payment back then was like $1,200. It would be so cheap to me right now. And I would be able to make overpayments. Like if I was to even go for like one of these homes now, they sell for like a half a million dollars. The payment's like $2,500 a month. So if in rents, like $2,500, that's what I'm, that's like what you need to live is $2,500 a month if you want to live in Astoria or you go and find a dinky little single bedroom apartment and you'll probably be somewhere around, you know, fifteen to $1,800 a month. So I think about that $2,500 a month payment, you know, and it's just like, man, if you could make like a $1,000 a month overpayment on that $168,000 loan, even if it had a six or 7% interest rate to it, you could have that loan paid off in no time. But now you're not going to be able to even make an overpayment. Your overpayment goes to making the principal and interest payment. There is no paying this house off early if you go to a $500,000 loan. loan was achievable like you could pay that thing off early but a half a million dollars that's not getting paid off early and even if you threw $100 a month extra at the $168,000 loan back in the day with the higher interest rate to it it would do a significant number to the principal throwing $100 a month at a million half a million dollars I don't think you're going to get very far with that there's almost no point to it, so there's a major difference. People say it's no it's cheaper to buy a home now than at any time in history. no, it's cheaper to make the payment on a loan on an expensive home than at any time in history, but it's not easier to buy one that's that's I think that is a misconception, yeah, I mean, but I guess it's just the way you look at it. you know, man, I really babbled off on this one um. But what I see kind of coming into the future, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about lumber because that's the only thing that I really focus in on. And now, I am sure that we are at the low in lumber. Like, we're not going to see much lower in the prices from here. And I'm talking retail prices. Future prices might change a bit. But at $3.38 compared to a lumber future price of around six fifty, it makes those two prices almost the same. So if you can imagine that there is dealers out there who have a product sitting on the ground, being sold at the same price that investors are willing to pay in the future for, do you see how this doesn't line up? Either one of them has to go way up or one of them has to go way down in order to make this a profitable scenario. And what I mean by that is that the retail price would have to go way up or the future price would have to go way down and now i don't see the future prices going way down. I see them at six fifty to seven hundred that's kind of what i'm anticipating going to be somewhat of an average i don't know why i'm picking out that number, but that's where i'm at and I think probably the major reason for that is is that once I saw the price once I had seen the prices drop below that 600 per thousand mark got into the 500 and 400 per thousand i saw mills having issues with that there are high production mills up in the british columbia area and you got to understand these are mills that produce a lot of lumber a lot of people just think well we can just cut all these trees down and just mill them up it doesn't work quite like that i mean there's production of lumber is just not a matter of just firing up some sawmills and going back to cutting up lumber you have a lot that goes into it starting with the trees you have to cut the trees you have to haul the trees you have to get them to the mill and then once they are at the mill the mill has to not just cut them up but they also have a drying process because a lot of people want to use kiln dried lumber it's what my lumber yard stocks and so this drying process can only handle it's a broom that they have to put the lumber into it can only fill so much and it only works at such amount of time there is no way to increase production of that without building more kilns. That is taking place right now because of the lumber prices running up to 1700 per thousand and people wanting a congressional hearing done to figure out who it is that's manipulating the prices. And I said, just give it some time. It'll come back. It's not a manipulation and people will still argue with me about that. Even though I've been saying it the whole time that I've been calling these lumber prices and conditions long before anybody else was. Now, I'm sure that is I'm sure there is some people out there who probably made a killing off of lumber. I have very little doubt in my mind about it. Was it done on purpose? I doubt it. Was somebody able to look at that and say, "I'm going to take advantage of this situation." Oh, I'm sure of that. Yes. But was it done on purpose to try and drive the prices up to 1700 per 1000? I don't think so. I think it was a complete supply chain breakdown whether it was anticipated, done on purpose, if the manipulation was done, it was done to everything out there in the entire economy and lumber just happened to be suffering right along with it. It was very noticeable and I understand that, but it's it's not showing inflation like the rest of the economy is saying inflation is here and it's coming and it's gonna be hyperinflation. It's not showing in lumber. Not to me. So I'm focused in on that. And when I start seeing lumber prices going up, I'm gonna tell you. I told you the lumber prices are bottoming right now. I know they are. The retail price of lumber, if you need a two by four in the next week or month, I wouldn't hesitate on buying some right now. I can only see that the prices are gonna go up. But they're gonna go up into a time of season that they normally would not be going up. It's going into a slowdown in the building season, a slowdown into the demand. However, we just came off a situation in which the prices were so high that it dropped the demand. So the demand is picking up because of the low inventory in homes. Which way is this going to go? Who knows? So now, when it comes to inflation... If we keep an eye on lumber, if we keep an eye on where it is that lumber has to be in order for the high-cost producers to be able to continue to produce and pump that lumber into the country and keep the prices at that stable, whatever it ends up being, then we'll know where the inflation really is. When we see gold achieve its new all-time highs and find some sort of level that is Something like where lumber is going to be stable, like when we find both of them, when we find wages, like when we stop seeing people like you know resigning and quitting their jobs and not taking and filling in jobs, when all that starts to dissipate. Now, this is going to take a long time, and I, I know a lot of people might argue with this, and I and I get it, you know, but once all this turbulence, once this recedes. We are going to be in a new economy. Prices are probably going to be higher. But we are not going to experience that hyperinflation scenario. Unless the Federal Reserve changes the way that they are mandated, not necessarily mandated, legally uh, chartered to inject money into the system. This is where I really feel that you can worry about inflation being a long-lasting or longer lasting major issue. Because right now, when you have to inject the money into the system by lending it into the system, all that money is due back, principal plus interest. During that time where it's coming back, that, princi- that principal plus interest, that is a deflationary scenario that is money disappearing from the economy. Now, the only way to keep that from happening is to invest in SAWS not beers. Now, we've talked about that before. We're investing into, if you kind of relate everything down to either a saw or beer, and how if everybody spent their money on beer, it would stimulate the economy because there's a lot of product that goes into beer like agriculture and, you know, transportation, you know, just the production of it altogether, you know, even advertising would be, you know, something involved with it. There's a lot of economic stimulation that can come from the purchasing of just beers, right? Now, if you bought saws instead, and you use those saws to cut up lumber, and you fasten that lumber together, you could sell the product. If you do that enough, eventually you could pay back the principal and interest of the saw from taking out the loan to buy it, and then that saw would be a means of production. Once you have consumed the beer, it's gone. Now you have to work and pay back for all that beer. That's the situation that we're in. So why it is that when people are drinking this beer and it's party time and the prices are going way up, they're saying, man, look at all this inflation around. Once that beer is gone, they are going to be looking at expensive prices with nobody available to buy it. And what happens then? The prices begin to fall. So right now... We're finishing off the beer. We're still, we're still consuming it. Like it's coming, but you can see it at the restaurants. You can see like, you know, the situations with like less homes being built because the prices had gone up so high, you know, I mean, that's kind of more into the saw territory because it's actually a a product that you're producing, but you guys kind of get where I'm going with this. You, You know, this is the reason why you saw the whole prices and everything went up is because of the stimulus injection of money that's fading away. Now when the Federal Reserve starts looking out at the economy and they're thinking, okay, how is it that we're going to stimulate the economy coming into the future? Because typically we would want to drop interest rates. We would take our fed funds rates down 5% interest. This would give like a boost to the banks to be able to start lending out there at a lesser interest rate and be profitable from that. And people would be taking that lesser interest rate and be party time. They buy houses and cars and go on vacation. They think it would just be great time. But the Federal Reserve is at the lower bound zero. Dropping interest rates is no longer an effective tool for dropping, int- you know, for stimulating the economy. You can't just go anywhere, because you are at zero. If you start dropping the interest rates farther from here, it starts injecting. It's that negative interest rate starts going into the banking system. And although there are nations around the world who have done this, they are, they have just dipped a toe into it, and it has not been proven to be an effective tool for stimulating the economy. So it is my opinion that the Federal Reserve is really wanting to push, or not just the Federal Reserve, central bank systems throughout the entire world, want to push this digital currency so that they can remove cash from the system. And now they are going to push this idea as a positive for the people. And I'll leave an article that was just recently written talking just about that, how it's a positive for the people. But really what it's all about, is being able to inject money into the system because the dropping of interest rates is not going to be an effective tool for getting people to go out there and borrow money. So in order for people to go and spend money on things out there and dropping of interest rates is not the effective tool for getting the money into the people's hands, then they're just gonna have to hand it willy-nilly over to you. But going through the treasury department is very cumbersome, not to mention it's also political issues with like trying to even get these stimulus packages passed. However, if the Federal Reserve didn't have to worry about political issues, all they had to do was buy these special bonds that the Treasury already has like, set up so that if, like, say, GDP falls or unemployment rises to a particular level, these Treasury bonds automatically kick up that the Federal Reserve could buy. Once they buy these things, instead of handing that money over to the Treasury, they can inject it right into the people's wallets. This is the system that I see coming. However, in order for them to establish that system, the people are going to have to feel a lot of pain. And the reason is because they're going to have to force Congress to make sure that the Federal Reserve has that power because they don't have it right now. Once they have that power to inject money, their their liabilities become legal tender and they can inject that right into the, into the economy. That's going to be a scenario in which that I feel could set the central banking systems up for a inflation or even a hyperinflation scenario. However, being in the central bank digital currency, they could just take it out just as easy as they put it in there. Total control, right? <sighs> I'm done. Uneducated economist, you guys let me know.